First Take, Her Take, hosted by Elle Duncan, Kimberly A. Martin, and Charlie Arnold, gives you a peek into their lives as they navigate their careers and relationships while giving their unfiltered opinions on the sports world's hottest topics. Listen to First Take, Her Take wherever you find your podcasts. Welcome to That's What She Said with Sarah Spain, a podcast about, well, whatever the hell I want. Actors and musicians, athletes, comedians, neuroscientists, wine experts. If I find somebody interesting, I'm bringing them to you. We'll talk about how they became who they are, how they found success, battled failures, and how they ended up here talking to me. My name is uh, Sherman Dillard Thomas. Currently plaguing me is the fundraising to get my own bus for my tour. Ooh, that's a good one. Um, I actually love the idea of Chicagoans and especially students going on your tours. So um, I want to be helpful with this one. Um, I just think it's so cool to learn about different neighborhoods in the city. Uh, So I'm pumped that you're raising money to make this happen. Um, Obviously, plenty of great ways to fundraise. For instance, as listeners are going to hear later in the pod, you've got all these new friends that are heavy hitters in Hollywood, Chicagoans that have made it big. So maybe every donation to your bus campaign earns an entry into a raffle to have like a phone call or a lunch date or some piece of memorabilia from one of those famous friends of yours. You could get creative like that. Um, Lots of that. But more simply, I'll just start by saying I know people who listen to this podcast today are going to want to get behind your work. Um, I'm going to send them straight to your donation page, chicagomahogany.com. If you click donate, you can help them out. And even $5 is a huge help to help them get this bus and give these tours and continue this like civic pride and education and disseminating all this great information. So chicagomahogany.com is where you go. Click donate. Five bucks. Uh, Make your coffee at home or make your lunch and bring it to work instead of buying it. Um, Every little bit helps. That's what she said. Hey, everybody. Welcome to That's What She Said, episode 342. Yes, that's right. We have counted. I've never labeled the pods by number before, uh, just the name of the guest. But I asked a colleague for the archives when I was looking for something and I saw the number of episodes and I thought, I got to take pride in this. I got to I got to share this accomplishment. I'm almost at 350 episodes, which is wild. And I have to thank you all uh, for listening to it, for sharing it with your friends and family, uh, for messaging me on social to share your thoughts and your reactions to different guests and topics. Uh, Thanks to those of you who have gone to Apple Podcasts or iTunes to rate and review the pod. Uh, Some of you leaving me lovely messages like arrow to the knee 42. He wrote fearless, so funny and so smart, a delectable spoonful of sugar. Sarah Spain is fearless and entertaining. Arrow to the knee 42. That made my day. Thank you so much. Um, Yes, my name is Nick wrote Sarah's an interesting person seeking and talking to interesting people in any avocation. Um, He also gave me a great recommendation of a guest to book and look into. So thank you, Nick. That's awesome. Uh, You guys rule. All of you listeners and all of you supporters rule. It really means a ton to me because I love doing this podcast so much. And I appreciate you helping me get to 342. Uh, Here's to 342 more. That's what she said. Did you all know that Chicago is the birthplace of brownies, mobile phones, fire poles? Today's guest wants you to know all of the dope things that have come out of Chicago and to learn more about the city's history and how to affect its future. He got a shout out in last week's episode, if you listened, with comedian and actor Chris Witoski. The two of them are partnering up on a Netflix pilot. His name is Sherman, a.k.a. Dilla Thomas. He works for ComEd for his regular job, but he's known as Six Figga Dilla 
on TikTok, and he's gone viral as a Chicago historian. He goes on and he just shares interesting facts about buildings and historical events and persons, inventions that have come out of Chicago. Your favorite neighborhood historian, Dilla, and I was wondering if you knew the story of a death row inmate and daylight savings. What's up, everybody? It's your favorite neighborhood historian, Dilla. And whether you're from Chicago or not from Chicago, I bet you know this phone number. 588 Have you ever wondered why Chicago's so big or how you could be on the same street and go in and out of the Chicago territories? The answer is annexation. If you're from Chicago, then you know this jingle. And when you're through singing, I'll tell you the history. He's taken this to the Kelly Clarkson show, the Today Show. He's been featured in the Chicago Tribune, Chicago Magazine, so much more. It's blown up. And he runs Chicago Mahogany Tours, uh, sharing the history of different Chicago neighborhoods via bus tours, uh, particularly for Chicago students. Um, wrote one Washington Post reporter of Dilla, quote, While national news outlets seem fixated on the city's gun violence and crime, Sherman Dilla Thomas has built an impressive audience by highlighting his hometown's best qualities. Dilla takes his uh, side hustle as a Chicago historian very seriously. I, I read a story and he, and he said, I feel determined and responsible to help change the Chicago narrative or at least provide some perspective. We have the issues we have today because of what has historically happened. So if you can better explain what historically happened, maybe you can fix what's happening today. I love that. He got the nickname Dilla because his mom said he could sell her anything like a used car Dilla. I feel like you'll feel the same after listening to the interview. Like he could sell you anything. He's he's fascinating and smart and thoughtful and funny and charismatic and really the perfect person to convince people to care about about Chicago and its history in a new way. And I think you'll care whether or not Chicago is your town or you've even been here. Um, we're going to talk about how his TikTok changed his life, how he's uh, working on that Netflix pilot making friends with famous Chicagoans along the way, um, how he, he chooses to teach folks about all the dope shit coming out of Chicago, secrets of the neighborhoods, musical legends uh, that, that were birthed from spaces in Chicago and more. So enjoy the conversation. That's what she said. So when I first heard about Sherman, a.k.a. Dilla Thomas, also known as Six Figure Dilla on TikTok, uh, which I never sound whiter than when I try to say that, um, I was thinking to myself, God, I got to join TikTok for another person. And then I was Delighted to find that I could find his videos shared onto other platforms. I did finally give in and join TikTok, but my offerings have been very spare. I mostly just join and lurk around and, and watch other people's, including Sherman's awesome videos that are mostly focused on Chicago history. Um, and this has really blown up. I, I want to go back, though, to uh, to back when you were a kid, because I think that's where all of this began, your fascination with, with knowledge and understanding where you lived. Uh, so tell me about uh, what you were like as a kid. Uh, that's absolutely where it started. Uh, I'm the son of a police officer. Uh, I'm a, there were six of us, right? I'm almost a baby. And um, being the son of a Chicago police officer typically comes with a history lesson in and of itself. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so, so as a kid, that's, that's how he talked to us. And, and kind of history lesson parables, right? If we were driving somewhere, once we entered into a new neighborhood, you know, where, where are we now? And you couldn't just say, oh, I'm on, you know, 55th and Ashland. Like, no, I'm on 55th and Ashland and we're in Inglewood, right? Like, those are the, the types of questions and interactions I had with my dad. And, and, and because of that, 
my love of history and my love of the city it comes from that. He, he was a cop before um, all the super technology, and I guess right or wrong, I'm not trying to say anything, but he was a cop when he could call another cop and say, hey, I'm going to bring my kids to the Sox game. And whoever was working the door just let us in. We wouldn't have seats or anything. We'd be standing up the whole game. But he could do that for any any stadium. And, you know, sometimes you ask him, like, man, you you, uh, you cool with us getting in like this? And he, he said, man, when I give my blood, sweat, and tears to this city. They could let me watch a game with my kids. But <laughs> also, right, he, he taught me that it was on the south side of Chicago that the world's first ever Major League Baseball All-Star game happened while he was sneaking us in the game. So that's, that's how my childhood went. Yeah, he would he would kind of teach you as you went. And I love hearing that it made your brain work a little differently. When you were on a street, you would say to yourself, why is this street named this? When you would see uh, the name like Jameston, you'd be like, who's James and why did he get his own town? Like it, it would just sort of inspire in you a curiosity when you moved around the space, which was really good because I have terrible sense of direction. I don't know where I am when I'm like six blocks from home. And it would have been really useful if I had been curious as a kid instead of growing up and relying entirely on like MapQuest and Google Maps or everything. Um, so your dad um, was not only a police officer, but part of the African-American Police League, which sued Chicago to change entrance exams to the fire and police department because of cultural biases. He ended up being on bodyguard detail for Mayor Harold Washington, Mayor Eugene Sawyer. Like he was involved in the city and and the way the city has evolved in really important ways. Um, what did you think you wanted to be as a kid? Did you want to grow up and do the same? Oh, man, I certainly did. I wanted to be a cop and he did not want that for me at all. Uh, he thought that he, what he told me is he ran into a lot of brilliant people on the Chicago Police Department, but uh, the job was just such that it kind of took the fire out of you. He said it was very hard every day to, um, when you think about police, they, for a living, deal with liars and the, and the worst form of people. And, and he said it was very hard to keep that from pouring into your everyday life. And sometimes even as kids, right, he had to come back to and apologize to us, you know, asking to go places or anything for that matter, because sometimes it turns into an interrogation, right? <laughs> and that, that ain't always the best way to raise your kids uh yeah. but it, but it did you know keep us out of trouble and I, I appreciate your compliments about how he raised me right like uh you saying that you lost six blocks away from home <laughs> that you, you would never get to go anywhere in his house right? you needed to uh understand the street grid right he quiz us on it you know what number east is stony island or uh, what number north is lawrence you know um, th those type of things. And it, it really helped me, not just help me get around the city, but like I said, people, I, I was a kid and people would, would call my house from pay phones to ask for directions, <laughs> to take their girls on dates just because they knew I knew the grid, right? That's so amazing. Like going to the north side for the first time, you're coming from the south side, right? The streets that, on the south side, it's all numbered, the east and west streets, right? It's the 79th Street, 55th Street, 63rd Street, it's easy enough. This is your first time you're going to take a girl out on Lincoln Park and you got to go to Park at Fullerton. You used to freak people out, right? <laughs> and they would call me. Like, How did I get to Fullerton? I, I explained it to them. Well, when you go north, the numbers go backwards, right? Like the numbers go get larger the further north you're traveling. And so Fullerton's right about 2,400, bro. Just keep driving north, you know? Yeah. And uh, that, that's how I learned the city. Yeah, I don't think my brain's built for that. Mine was always like when I lived in LA, it was like, okay, well, the water is west. And then when I moved back to Chicago, it's like, okay, the water is east. 
Like that's the, yep. that's about as simple. That's about as simple as I keep it. You know, it's interesting about your dad. Cause I think sometimes we joke about our parents' jobs and how they might um, sort of leak into our household, but having studied like the brain and the way our brains work now, I've learned that, you know, lawyers have an adversarial brain because they spend all day having to predict the worst possible thing that could be used against them in a debate or in court or in a trial. And so the same would be for a police officer, right? If you're used to people lying to you or, or not, not being upfront, then you're going to come home in your natural way. It's like, what are my kids trying to get away with now? So yep. of course, of course, that's how it, it went for you. All right. So why'd you get kicked out of high school? You sound like you were a good kid. People were coming to you for help. What, what, what happened there? <laughs> you know, so a lot, if you're from, if you're native Chicago, particularly from the Southwest, that's going to make a lot of sense to you. It may not if you're from other parts of the city or surrounding area. Uh, like it or not, we have gangs in Chicago. And if you, I grew up in the 90s, uh, the 80s and the 90s. And whether or not you were involved, you had some kind of like loose affiliation, right? So it, basically what it meant is whatever block you lived on, uh, whatever gang claimed that area, you were inadvertently in that gang when you went to another area, right? So in high school, a friend of mine who was uh, in gang banging uh, got into a fight and he was getting the worst of that particular fight. And so in basically explaining those particular rules, it, it, in that moment, right, I'm 15, 16 years old, I thought to myself, I don't at least get him out of getting whooped. When I get home, everyone's going to say, I mean, he's from your block. Why didn't you help? Right. But I didn't, I didn't I didn't throw a punch. Really, I just kind of got in between them enough to where he wasn't getting whooped in the hallway and I, I wouldn't get home and be ridiculed. But also in the 90s, and I, I really appreciate you asking, Chicago Public Schools had this policy called zero tolerance. Mm -hmm. And as soon as you turn 16, no matter what you did, if it had any scotch of violence to it, they put you around. I guess that was their answer to quelling gang violence. But what they did is like kids like me sometimes got caught up and I got kicked out of high school with the, the I, nowadays, I consider it a blessing. I end up going to Olive Harvey Middle College, an alternative high school housed in the city colleges of Chicago, housed at Olive Harvey. And people like Scoop Jackson came and talked to us. Nice. Uh, you, you know, we got to travel. And, I, and um, my final exam was to memorize 50% of the Bronzeville Walk of Fame. A lot of people don't know between 33rd Street and, say, 39th Street on Martin Luther King Boulevard, on both sides of the street, in, in bronze on the ground is names of amazing luminaries that lived over there, Jack Johnson, Muhammad Ali, uh, so forth and so on, Robert Abbott. And so that that I, I'm happy nowadays because I got kicked out of high school if that makes sense. <laughs> and uh, were you already a big dude at that point? Because I would imagine that's the other problem. When you're a big dude and there's a fight, people are going to be like, well, you have to do something. You don't get to stand yeah. by and watch. <laughs> Then there's that too, right? At, at that point, I'm six five now. I was probably six two, six three then when that happened. But yeah, then there's that. But then, you don't but get to sit out. Yeah, <laughs> that's the Chicago story too, though, right? Like we've been that way forever. It 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 isn't just relegated to um, Chicago or black gang stories or South Side or West Side. Like since all of the time since Chicago's been in existence, neighborhoods kind of grouped together, right? And so uh, it it was no difference for us as kids. And, you know, unfortunately, like you said, you can't you can't go home in any in any aspect of life. If you go somewhere with your little brother and he starts to fight, 
you better both come home beat up, right? Or you're going to have <laughs> right. a problem. So. Right. Well, I'm glad it ended up working out and you did end up somewhere that had some really cool educational opportunities and, and sort of um, learning by experience, which is uh, something I'm, I'm on the board for a group called Embark here in Chicago. And that's our whole focus is actually going into Chicago public schools and learning by experiences and journeys and getting out and taking trips and doing what it sounds like you did at that alternative high school and putting that into every school uh, because of the effect it can have and, and the doors it can open. It sounds like it actually was a perfect fit for someone like you, where you want to learn about all the places around you and, and explore. Um, you ended up at Eastern Illinois. You majored in English and African-American studies. At that point, what did you want to do? What did you think your job might be? Uh, I, so some this uh, amazing lawyer, he still practices law. God, I hope he hears this. I ain't ran into him this ever since the Lakotan Walls. Uh, that same exact thing I was talking about in high school, we all got charged criminally. And Lakotan mm. Walls ended up being my uh, attorney my parents hired. And he just like, you know, you, right? He was shocked that I, I ended up in this type of thing. I was a good student, good grades, played basketball. And um, the way he defended me, the way he uh, didn't treat me like a number, I really wanted to go into law. So that's what I thought I was going to do. I was going to, like, teach English and let the CPS pay for my law school. Uh, so that's why I picked those majors. But I ended up, uh, you know, starting my family early and uh, couldn't do the law school portion of the education. I needed to come home and get a job. So what'd you do? What was your first job? Uh, so my first job home from college was this place called Omega Airport Shuttle. Now I'm aging myself. It was pre-Uber. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so people would take airport shuttles, either Airport Express if you were on the north side and Omega Airport Shuttle on the south side. And I really, that as a person in Chicago, and I guess it's true in like any major American city, we typically just go home, go to work, go to the place you need to do. And so there was a big chunk of the city I had never had a reason to go to. And once I started driving for that um, airport shuttle, you got people go, come home and go to all the neighborhoods. Yeah. So that was really, really great. And then, but I ended up becoming a meter reader for ComEd, which again, people don't realize that if it, if it has lights on it, it's a meter connected to it somewhere because you got to pay for those lights. And that, and that really opened me up to the city and, and not just the city, but the different cultures from the city. The black guy from the South side probably wouldn't spend a lot of time talking to Polish grandmothers just because I don't live by them. But they got an amazing Chicago story, too. At one point, there was more uh, Polish speaking Americans or people who spoke Polish in Chicago than there was uh, people in Warsaw, Poland. I remember that's one of the famous Chicago things is there's more Polish people in Chicago in any one city other than Warsaw. Cause it's so big. There's so many that there isn't a big enough city. I don't know if that's still the case, but that's been but we, we, something we, we've heard about forever. Yeah. And it was more here than in Warsaw. So I, I wouldn't have, uh, I've heard that, but I wouldn't have learned the stories. I wouldn't have learned that the people in Ukraine village were also redlined, just like African-Americans on the South side. And that's why they have that credit union. Uh, up there on Western, that was they had to band together because since they were from the Russian area, they were treated like you know the Reds, the communists, right? They were also denied bank loans for decades. I wouldn't have known that until I became a meter reader. And I'm going door to door, knocking on people's door to get let in their backyard. There's a, a degree of trust that's required before they open the door for you, and then. Uh, from that, they're really willing to share. So I, I really appreciate that job. Yeah. How long have you been doing that job? 
Uh, well, now I'm still at ComEd. I'm an area operator now, which is a fancy way of saying I'm a high voltage electrician. Um, and I do the inspections for downtown buildings. I've been with ComEd since 2011. Okay, long time. Yeah, I saw one of your TikTok videos. You're in the basement of the Sears slash Willis Tower showing off the giant stuff at the bottom there. Um, so it is a way for you to not only travel to different places around Chicago, but sometimes get some uh, some inside access, get to the spaces that hope, most of us aren't allowed. I hope my boss doesn't hear this. The only person I hope that's not going to hear this particular <laughs> interview, but sometimes like when they were building, now they call it the St. Regis, but it was the Austin Vista. Uh, or when they, uh, uh, Jenny Lang has a, a building, the Aqua in Chicago, it's the tallest building uh, designed by a woman architect in all of America. And so I had to get in there. And, and when you work for ComEd, you just say, hey, brother, I want to make sure your lights are okay. Why don't you let me <laughs> check that out, right? Yeah. So I'm not ashamed to say I've tried that a time with you. Sure. I think your circuit breaker's in the spa here at the St. Regis. Let me go take a look. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right. So you've been at Comet for all that time. And in the end of 2020, you were helping. So first of all, you have seven kids, which is insane. Uh, I have three dogs and that is too many beings to be in charge of. Um, how, what are the ages of your children? Uh, I'm glad you asked it that way because I got to do the countdown and not get it <laughs> wrong. So it's 23, 18, 14, uh, 12. Bailey's nine, Wisdom's four, and Junior's two. So were any of those accidents or were you like, I want to have seven children? <laughs> that is so awful that you asked that. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I'd probably say like half was, uh, man, having a kid would be cool. And the other half was, oh, well, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, you wanted to help one of your kids, your daughter, shoot uh, some videos for TikTok. And uh, she wanted to do dances and all the usual things. And you were like, no, you should do Chicago historical facts. And shockingly, your small daughter was not interested. Right. What was the uh, <laughs> what was the pitch there? How did you try to convince her to be cool? I still think that she would have did way better than than what I ended up doing. I got, I'm lucky enough. I got to throw the first pitch at the Jackie Robinson thing, right, from TikTok. And, um, but that I, I still, the first one I was going to have her do is explain why 312 is our area code. And I just think cute little girls go viral more than, you know, middle-aged black dudes <laughs> with dreads, right? Right, right, right. <laughs> so. Uh, that was the type of stuff I wanted her to tell tell people. You know, if you're from Chicago, you, you've heard people who say the three one two. No, no people people don't recognize that that's the area code based on population, right? New York is two one two because it was the number one populated city in the uh, country, and it was based off of ease of use of a road uh, rotary dial, right? I don't know if you remember, you had to go crank it all the way around, right? So they figured to they 
handed out the area codes based off of how frequent people would be using oh, them. Oh, that's fascinating. Okay, so right? for, for the young people listening, rotary phone, uh, just Google it and look at a picture and imagine that you have to stick your finger in at the top and then move it down as far as the numbers. So, oh, that's fascinating. So, um, and then I guess with maybe... Uh, California, I guess it just was so far away that by the time they got there, they were like, uh, sorry, you're 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 going to be down the dial there. Well, no. So, yeah, L.A. at that time was probably like four. Chicago was two. Right. So oh, wait, I guess Cal- I guess California's I'm uh, I'm a three one oh. So I guess California's up there, too. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And so uh, I wanted her to teach those type of lessons where a lot of people didn't know that the same guy who invented the point spread is the same person who came up with. Uh, Major League All-Star Baseball game, right, huh. in 1933 at the World's Fair. And so thinking of clever ways for her to say it, I thought it'd be digestible for everybody. And uh, she looked me in the eyes and she said, no one cares about history but you, Dad. <laughs> and um, full of pride, I, I, I did want to, like, prove her wrong. And my whole goal was we had did a couple of those dance videos and we might have got, like, 100 views. And I was trying to show her that the history videos would get more views. Uh, and so it did. First one did good. And then the second time she was like, I just a fluke. Do it again. And so I did another one and it did good. And then I told the story of uh, Lower Wacker Drive gang buses. We were off and running. Yeah, it's been really fun to watch your videos sort of spread and how people are invested in then learning more once you tell the minute or so worth of, of history about something. Um I want to hear about one of your first really big, big ones. Uh, you put out a couple videos all in a row about uh, um, one of the mayors of Chicago putting a hit on a gangster. Can you tell that one? <laughs> yeah, I can't believe that every Chicagoan doesn't know that, right? Like, uh, we drive down Cermak so often if you go into McCormick Place and that sort of thing. Um, Cermak was running for mayor against Big Bill Thompson. Big, Big, Big Bill Thompson had a uh, working relationship, if you will, with uh, what we allegedly call around here is the Chicago outfit. Please, guys, remember that I said allegedly. Okay, so um, <laughs> you got to protect yourself there, right? And so um, when Big Bill Thompson lost the election, uh, Sir Mac had a relationship with different, uh, quote-unquote, gangsters in the city. And so um, Al Capone was already in jail. Frank Nitti was uh, in charge of the Chicago outfit. Sir uh, Mac sent two detectives to Frank Nitti's office on LaSalle Street. Uh, Detective Lang went in the office. He shot Nitti in the neck, shot Nitti in the shoulder, and then he turned and shot himself in the shoulder because he was going to say that he fired in self-defense. Wow. They thought Nitti was they thought Nitti was dead in the office, and so. You know, they let the ambulance come do what they were supposed to do. But Frank Nitti was alive and oh. he was able to, to say, like, no, that guy shot me and then shot himself. <laughs> right. Um, so then the, it went to trial. But in, in the middle of the trial, Mayor Cermak got killed down in Florida with President Roosevelt. He was standing on the stage and an assassin was trying to kill President Roosevelt. Uh, Cermak caught the bullet instead. And so once Cermak passed away, then the protection for uh, Detective Lane kind of ended. Detective Lane said, hey, if you guys don't get me off of this, I'm going to tell everything I know, including all the things Mayor Cermak had me do. Wow. So Detective Lane got a $100 fine. He had to keep his pension. And uh, no one really talks about the hit that was playing so Frank Nitti. 
Man, I know nothing about this city. It's really embarrassing when I watch your videos. And one of the ones that, that, that like you have a whole series about everything dope about America comes from Chicago um, it does. to the point where you did enough of those that you actually talked at a, a college recently about that specifically. So tell us a couple of the cool things that came out of Chicago that most people don't know. Well, the number two yellow pencil, it comes from Chicago. The uh, car radio was invented in Chicago. Imagine driving cross country, no car radio, right? <laughs> um, uh, but we didn't invent the musical form of jazz, but we named it. Jazz was formerly called ragtime in Chicago in 1915 in the Chicago Tribune. is the first time the word jazz was associated with the music, right? We credit uh, Jackie Robinson with breaking the game of baseball, and we never mentioned that it's because all of the baseball owners came every year to Chicago to watch the East-West game, which was the Negro League All-Star game. And after Branch Rickey saw Jackie Robinson killed a couple times at that game, he finally said, hey, this rule is silly, right? Same thing can be said about uh, breaking basketball. It was the Harlem Globetrotters versus the Minneapolis Lakers who won the 1948 championship. They played a game at the Chicago Stadium. Uh, Harlem Globetrotters won by two points in the last second shot. That very next year, the NBA started drafting black players, uh, the first two being Harlem Globetrotters. And the Harlem Globetrotters are not from Harlem. They were created in the 1920s here in Chicago. There were originally five Wendell Phillips high school graduates who used to play a game of trying to get the ball up and down the court with only three passes. And that's, that's where all that fast, fancy stuff comes from. Yeah. And all that comes from Chicago, right? The Italian beef comes from Chicago. Red chips. The food comes from Chicago, and if you're if you're uh, betting on sports, you're gonna probably bet the spread, right? You don't typically bet things straight up, and that concept also comes from Chicago. There's so much stuff. Um, you have to watch Sherman's videos to learn about brownies and fire poles and time zones and stockyards. All of these, all of these came from Chicago. Those are some of your most popular ones. What are some of the other ones that have gone most viral or people are most interested in? Uh, well, the expressways did very well, right? Just talking about the formation of the expressways, we, we kind of are used to them now. They help us get around the city faster, but uh, all of our major expressways displace Chicago neighborhoods and communities. And then also just saying where, where those expressways get their names from, right? A lot of people don't know who Eden is, right? He was a, a road pioneer who believed in safe roads, even though he never owned a car. We don't know who the Stevenson is nowadays, but uh, so older Chicagoans will know that it's named after Adlai Stevenson, a very progressive um, governor. So, and then also the stories of uh, things that are gone now, right? People are very interested in the story of the Cabrini Green housing projects or the Robert Taylor uh, housing projects. Those get uh, a lot of notoriety. And I think most of all the neighborhood ones, right? When I break down uh, where the neighborhoods get their names and what was the former names, right? People in Inglewood don't know that Inglewood was his own town and it was called Junction Grove because of the amount of train junctions that was found on 63rd Street. That embankment is still there. So, so those videos do real good. We'll get right back to the interview. But first, what's your favorite word? Dope. Dope. Okay, a dope can be a fool. Dope can be a slang for, for excellent or cool. Dope can refer to drugs, doping, you know, like performance enhancing drugs. This is a fascinating word. And the background is super interesting. So from Etymology Online, from 1807, American English sauce, gravy, 
any thick liquid was the original definition from the Dutch dupe thick dipping sauce um and it was used generally uh by the late 19th century for any mixture or preparation of unknown ingredients so a thick liquid of unknown ingredients um the extension to a narcotic drug started in 1889 from smoking a semi-liquid opium kind of preparation and then in 1851 foolish or stupid person came about you know think like dopey and snow white uh which may come from the idea of someone being thick-headed like sort of stupefied or in uh, not altogether there because of narcotics. Um, so dictionary.com adds that rappers started using the word dope to mean excellent in the eighties. Uh, so you can find that in the lyrics of, of OGs like Grandmaster Flash. And some linguists say that this process of, of sort of turning dope from something bad into, into good is an inversion that's really common in slang like this. So bad or sick becoming, you know, good fat, with a pH. Um, and also that the idea of being high um, and the sort of the bad boy vibes of being a drug dealer and street life and partying itself also contributed probably to shifting dopes meaning. So if you were, uh, if you were using dope, it was dope uh, kids. I'm not saying that that's the case, but that might be why the words connotation changed. So super fascinating word. Speaking of great words, you're going to learn today. The word of the week is since we are learning from Dilla, great things that originated in Chicago. Let's do another couple words. You might already know, as he mentioned, words like jazz, skyscraper, Ferris wheel, house, as in house music, all originated in Chicago. But I found a couple sports words that came from my city and its sort of surrounding suburban environs. So flea flicker, obviously, uh, we know what that is, playing football, the ball changes hands before the forward pass. Uh, New York Times on language columnist Ben Zimmer located Tribune citations to a flea flicker all the way back to 1911. Bob Zupke, then the football coach at Oak Park High School right outside Chicago, later the coach at University of Illinois, uh, credited with inventing the flea flicker. Southpaw, left-handed person, especially a pitcher in baseball, popularized by Finley Peter Dunn, uh, Chicago sports writers at the turn of the century, uh, 20th century, also provided the first recorded uses of hit and run, pinch hitting, home plate, and slugger. Chicago, full of baseball words. And perhaps most appropriate for a city that, speaking of baseball, had to witness all 108 years of the Cubs World Series drought, Jinx. Jinx first appeared in print in the Chicago Daily News in 1911, originally referring to curses in baseball. Um, probably comes either from I-Y-N-X, which is the Latin name for the Rhineck bird, which was considered to be magical, or word researcher Barry Popick uh, said potentially related to the title character of the 19th century American popular song, Captain Jinx of the Horse Marines, J-I-N-K-S. But Jinx, J-I-N-X, Came out of Chicago in 1911. Okay, in a sentence. The Chicago Cubs finally put to rest one of the most famous, longest-running sports jinxes of all time, the curse of the Billy Goat, when they won the World Series in 2016. Now let's get back to the interview. Is it true that your father refused to take expressways because of how they were built? Yeah, absolutely. He got his family. And so, the, again, great question. And we don't think about how that affects us today. His family had finally saved up enough money to purchase property on what is now the Congress Expressway. And so uh, because it was a black neighborhood, though, the houses were under assessed. And so if it had one kind of dilapidated property on the block, they would say the whole block was based off of that kind of assessment. And so they valued my 
grandparents' home less than what they owed on the mortgage. And so uh, when, when they came for eminent domain and forcibly moved them, once they uh, paid them what they owed them, they still were underwater as far as the mortgage they took out, which made it very hard for them to purchase another home again. And so unless we were going real far or we were in some kind of like super emergency, he took the streets. And um, one, he took the streets because he said it, it made us pay attention to the city. On the expressways, mm. you don't see the mom and pop stores that are on the on Halsted or on Ashland. Uh, two, he remembered that displacement and, and, and how his family felt uh, having to go back to renting, you know, so soon as finally uh, struggling uh, to become property owners. And so, yeah, yeah uh, the destruction of black communities him. for the expressways. I don't think most people would know that. And even a lot of people, which is sad to say, I think still don't really understand the real history of redlining and um, and what an important role Chicago sort of played in um, being a, a place where formerly enslaved Americans escaped to only to find that there was institutionalized and systemic racism that was sort of not hidden because it was out in front, but it was okayed by the government and policing systems and everything else that that reinforced um, and made it difficult for generational wealth and, and for families to, to build upon their success. You know, right now, if you think about the quintessential Chicago housing types, you think about bungalows and two flats. And sadly, when they were constructed, no bungalow in the city of Chicago built new had a black family in it because all of them were constructed in what we call the bungalow belt. Right. That was this um, whole bunch of development. And, and that's really when the Chicago neighborhoods take off. But all those neighborhoods have what's called a racial covenant, meaning that uh, you, you sign a paper agreeing legally that you will not sell your home to or rent your home to an African-American. Uh, and Chicago certainly was prolific about that. And what's super cool about Chicago is uh, we also were home to the Sears and Roebuck Company, right, which was the Amazon before Amazon. Their president, Julius Rosenwald, was super philanthropic and so his generosity helped build the Wabash YMCA. That building is the birthplace of Black History Month. And in that building, a guy by the name of Earl B. Dick Earl B. Dickerson was trained and coached by other lawyers. He eventually became a lawyer himself. Um, and he's one of the lawyers that helped reverse racial covenants constitutionally uh, via the Supreme Court. And so, again, it's only in Chicago that that happens, too, that the kind of corporate uh, philanthropy that allows for the former demographic of American citizens who are being left out to kind of help step up. Julius Rosenwald built over 2,000 two-room high schools in the South. John Lewis went to a Rosenwald school. But Rosenwald also saved the Museum of Science and Industry from the wrecking ball. Uh, wow. Before it, yeah, before, so it's, the Museum of Science and Industry is one of two permanent structures built for the Columbia World Exposition of 1893. It's that derelict off of the Lake Michigan eroding they were getting ready to knock it down he understood the importance of it and so like if you go to the field museum right it's named after marshall fields or the fields family right you go to the shed aquarium named after the shed family he saved the museum of science and industry they were going to name it the rosenwald museum of science and industry he didn't want the credit hmm. right a super awesome guy and again he's also uh the chicago that i'm proud of yeah. I love how you know all this stuff. And some of it is from from growing up, but obviously you do the research to make sure you've got all the facts right and make sure that what people are are hearing on TikTok is the same as what they would go read in a research 
Facebook or yep. something like that. So how do you keep that up? You have a lot of subscriptions to a lot of things, <laughs> huh? Oh my goodness. I'm getting in trouble all the time. Uh, technology tells on you too much. So the alerts <laughs> hit my wife all the time. And she's, you know, I'm not even just saying it to for any like sympathy. I, I easily have $350 worth of subscriptions a month. Just right. If, I, if I'm researching something, one, I love perspectives. And so a Chicago newspaper, let's say, let's say, the, let's say the Chicago Tribune wrote about something. Because I was going to have some Chicago slant and bias. But let's say it was a national event, say the Great Chicago Fire of 1871. Well, that was written about all over the country. So I want to know what the New York Times said, right? I want to know what older publications, how they reported it, right? And then also people moved away. So let's say you were a victim of the Great Chicago Fire of 1871. You're like, hey, it's too much fire in Chicago. I'm I'm going back east. (laughs) You may have told your story at the 10 year anniversary to a New York reporter, right? Yeah. I'm not going to see that in the Chicago Tribune archives. I got to, so I got to pay for the, you know, New York Times archives, right? I also pay, pay for the, the like ProQuest. Um, anytime I meet college kids, I'm always trying to get their IDs so I can sign into their college libraries, right? <laughs> nice, uh, but, nice. But I, I pay for a lot of repositories. Yeah. Um, You've made some uh, pretty big success as a result of of all this, what would be unpaid labor on TikTok. Uh, You did a half hour special on WCIU here in Chicago, Black History Verified in February with Brandon Pope, which people can find, by the way, the whole special is on uh, WCIU.com if you want to watch them talk about a whole bunch of stuff in in Chicago history. Um, One of them things that you talked about in that special, which was so fascinating was the idea of Bronzeville having a garbage man living next to a lawyer because of the, the, the red line, because of the racial covenants. So uh, people of varying levels of financial um, status were living right next to each other. So people that, that were creators and artists and incredible uh, musicians or writers all lived right near each other and spent a lot of time together. Cause it was like, a neighborhood full of all those people all meshed together. You know, in 1900, there was 10,000 African-Americans in Illinois, mostly living in Chicago. By 1920, there was 200,000 African-Americans in Illinois, mostly living in Chicago. And 90% of all Black folks in 1920 living in Chicago lived in the Black Belt, lived in what we call Bronzeville today. And they were forced there because of racial covenants, right? So you, a person like Earl B. Dickerson, who I'm, I'm talking about, was unable to live anywhere else or other. Very amazing. Uh, Ralph Metcalf, who won the bronze behind Jesse Owens in Berlin, could not live anywhere else but right there in Bronzeville. But because of that, he got to groom Harold Washington, right? A young Harold Washington could walk to the corner and be at the house of a United States congressman. Mm. The same thing applied with music, right? Louis Armstrong lived 421 East. 44th Street, right? Uh, Oscar Brown Jr. grew up over there. Maurice White grew up over there, founder of uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire. You got a musical question, you can walk to Louis Armstrong's house and get the answer, <laughs> right? If you're learning or you're a new musician and you just can't get a note, you're trying to copy one of his songs. And then that same thing happened with the blues. And so it's that, that closeness, the proximity of greatness which is why Chicago electrified the blues, right? The blues were invented in the Mississippi Delta. The first person to plug up an amplifier to that thing, it happened in Chicago, but he got the advice from other musicians. You know, it was that, that closeness to greatness. 
that uh, that gives us so many things, so many philanthropic organizations. Like I say, Black History Month as a concept started on the South Side of Chicago because they live so close to each other. So many scholars. That's so cool. Um, that special has a bunch of really interesting stuff. Like I said, WCIU.com. You can find the special with Brandon Pope and Sherman talking about all that stuff. Um, in addition to that, and you're speaking at Chicago Humanities doing a bus tour, um, which you mentioned you want to do more bus tours around the city, but you are trying to raise money to buy your own bus. And you also would like to, in theory, have a nonprofit so that you can um, pay for some of those subscriptions, right? Get grants from people to continue your work. Yeah, well, the, the non-for-profit just came back finally. So I do have a, a non-for-profit our tour company, Chicago right. Mahogany Tours. And our non-for-profit is Chicago Mahogany Foundation. So we're going to uh, dip our, our toe in the, um, to the pool of grants. And, uh, I, I think I say it everywhere I go. I think once you know the history of a space, it becomes impossible not to respect that space. Hmm. And that, that doesn't just apply to... The folks living on the south and west side who are walking on historic grounds and don't necessarily know it. That also applies to the companies that do business in the south and west side and the north side and all over the city who also aren't aware of some of the history. You know, I was just talking to a state farm exec, and I'm sure they, one, sort of appreciate me saying their name, but also don't, but in the end, they will, right? State farm, as a company, refused to force their agents to write policies in Roseland because Roseland was redlined. That, that continued all the way up to the early 2000s. They have since remedied that, and they're working hard to kind of correct that. But then that just means that as a corporate partner, you have to be a tad bit more responsible now because of how much time you allow the bad things to happen. But briefly, I'll tell you how, how that affects all of us in the city. If uh, Allstate or State Farm won't write insurance policies in Roseland, that's not going to stop them from needing homeowners insurance. And so what happens is I know that. So I create Dilla insurance and then I sell you an insurance policy. But then when your house catches on fire, I go bankrupt my LLC. And now you're just done. Mm. And you have you've been paying me this house this all the time, this, this, this premium this whole time. And when, as soon as you need me, I bankrupt my company. There's nothing anyone can do. Right. But reputable companies wouldn't do that because they have other business, other places. But when as a reputable company, you kind of block out a certain demographic of the city, you put the predators on that demographic. So next time you're driving through an Inglewood or a railway, you see a lot of burnt out houses or abandoned houses. That's the story. They, right. It wasn't that they didn't have insurance. They had uh, what I like to call shifty insurance and they, they paid the price. And we all do, because then that lowers the property value in that area. So now if you live in Hyde Park or Rogers Park, your taxes go up because taxes are zero net gain. So somebody's going to pay it. We might as well make it equitable, you know? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so true that understanding and knowing about how all these things came to be also prevents them from continuing practices that are, um, that are unfair or rooted in systemic racism or um, just historically wrong and shouldn't be continued simply because they've always been done that way. But we have to educate ourselves to know that. And I know one of your goals is to, when you get your own bus, be able to work with non-for-profits and local schools and take kids, especially from some underserved neighbor neighborhoods on, on the tours of, of these spaces and to understand the city better. Um, I know you also said um, 
you want to die at 87, very specific number, uh, get a brown honorary street sign in Auburn Gresham and be the city's first black cultural historian. So as much as you, you've got that special, you're actually in talks with my previous podcast guest, Chris Witoski, on potentially a pilot for Netflix about historical uh, Chicago story that you want to tell. Um, but that's not the big goal for you. As cool as that is, what you really want to do is be Chicago's historian. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, uh, you know, got to be careful what you say, right? Because if they gave it to me tomorrow, then uh, theoretically I would die a happy man, right? You know, the, <laughs> no, you're not 87 yet, though. Me. You did put yeah, a very right, specific but, number on it. So, <laughs> yeah, I got, I, got, I got to get up there and the kids would need me. But absolutely, I think, uh, one, as humbly as I can say, I'm a real Chicago guy. Like I, uh, again, I, I, I have worked on every side of the city. My family has worked on every side of the city. I've been uh, fortunate enough to have like relationships with people across all uh, different ethnicities. Uh, and I understand that all their histories together matter. I think um, I will be able to provide a perspective to all sides of the city, right? I, I get that people on the north side of the city uh, have a certain culture and their culture shouldn't be ignored. I get that the people of Humboldt Park are fighting very hard to preserve uh, what has become the only official, officially recognized Puerto Rican neighborhood in all the United States. New York has a strong Puerto Rican population, but the neighborhood is not officially designated by the city. Pasal Boricua here in Chicago is, right? So I, I understand why that matters because I come from a side of the city that's sometimes ignored. And so having been ignored, I know how it feels mm -hmm. and I don't want anyone else to feel like that. Right. And I, and again, I think, well, all of our interests are aligned. You know, at the end of the day, we, we want a good schools for our kids to go to. We want to be able to reasonably let the dog off the leash without it being any too much of a problem. Right. You know, we want the Bulls to win a championship this decade. <laughs> and, and really, that's that's it, right? How we go about getting there may be different. But that doesn't make it wrong. But what I do understand 100% is that people from all over the world, at one point, there's like 150 different languages spoken in Chicago. But we all make it work. And the connection to that is history. We all have a, a shared history and a shared past that, that's great. And that that connects us. And if we focus on that a lot more, I hate to age myself, but it, but back in the day, you would watch a movie about New York and it always made New York seem bad. Like it didn't matter the plot. If the person went to New York and they got mugged as soon as right. they got there. Right. That was the New York plot. And then one day somebody, some genius said we should stop talking about ourselves like that. And I can't remember the last time I watched any movie about New York where the city was the villain. Right. Or the city was ominous. And like Chicago has become that. We, we got to stop that. We got to, mm -hmm. like I say, talk about the, 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 the history of this place. We set the time zones uh, for the country here in Chicago, right? We, we, we do, we're so important to the nation. The first ever presidential election that was televised happened here in Chicago. Um, like again, so just social services, right? With the Jane Addams Clubhouse. So caring for the needy. In, in, in the form that we do it today, right, with social uh, social workers and all those things. That's a Chicago invention. In fact, the study of sociology, right, the academic discipline of sociology was invented in Chicago. So I, I think those histories are important, and I think it'll lift us up. Yeah, and I think, 
you're right. Uh, telling more stories about Chicago that go beyond the cliches, uh, particularly when those cliches are used as racist dog whistles, um, is super important to adding depth to the stories that are told and also to understanding the city in its entirety instead of siphoning it off because it is such a segregated city. I know uh, Tanika Lewis Johnson does this incredible folded map project where she connects the addresses on the south and north sides of Chicago and introduces residents from both of those places to understand the um, resources that are around the places in which they live so that you could live in the same exact city, but if you're north and south side, what it means to be in those spaces, what you're offered, what your opportunities are, what the city pays for, what your taxes go to. Um, and I remember her talking about how many students would come to Chicago from a different place and say that they were told right away, don't go to the south side, right? And oh, how not, it was just, this just that. Yeah. I hate to cut you off, but you are preaching up what they would say, a lather. The University <laughs> of Chicago, as its official policy, told students not to cross Cottage Grove, right? Mm -hmm. That was their policy for incoming freshmen. And on the one hand, right, especially when the projects were up, State Red Gardens, Robert Taylor Project, uh, I'll be the first to admit that it might have been a little tough for a white kid from Omaha, Nebraska, to survive the Robert Taylor Project, because that was his first experience with Chicago, right? However, University of Chicago has always been welcoming to places like Rwanda had a real bad situation and they welcomed Rwanda refugees. Those kids would have ate the Robert Taylor projects for lunch, right? Like they had had, they, they would have survived. And when you tell students not to live on the other side of Cottage Grove, what you do is you drive the rents up super high in Hyde Park because that's the only place that you're advertising. Nothing would have happened to any University of Chicago student living on, you know, the other side of Cottage Grove, except they would have helped expand culture, right? And there would have been some shared learning. Uh, I love that you're aware of that. that. That's why you're the goat in the hood. I don't know if you know everybody. I, when I was sitting at the uh, Cubs game um, when uh, the rookie of the year, uh, yeah. Gardner, threw the threw the first pitch, right? And I got your, your your email about being on the podcast, and I turned the phone to the guys that I was with. Everybody started high-fiving. Uh. Yeah, you know, it, it was like almost like you made it, right? Like we're used to your voice being dropped on so many of uh, Chicago sports programs. So one, I appreciate you just, you're so in tune with the city and being in tune with Tanisha Johnson is amazing. She's also talking about this thing called contract buying. To say I own the house, right? This is a family house. My pops bought it, paid the mortgage off. He passed away, I own it. I want to rent it out. I would go to a black family and say, hey, you guys want to buy this house? And a group of people who were formerly pro prohibited from buying houses in the neighborhoods because of the things we previously mentioned, will say, heck yeah, I want to buy this house. And so they would draw what's called a land contract. And it basically worked almost like a 30-year mortgage, but there was no flex for the buyer. And what happened over and over and over again is you would get to year 24, and then they would start incrementally raising it. Mm. And then you would no longer be able to afford the monthly. And then once you miss it the first time, you're in violation of that land contract, and they come and evict you, you get mm. none of the equity that she's been paying yeah. over the last 20 years thinking that you were purchasing a house. She has signs in front of several houses across the South side that uh, people thought they were buying a house. And really what was happening is they were getting robbed because the, you know, a lot of times that person would ask for a very large lump, uh, lump sum down, right? That, that might be your life savings. Again, you think you're purchasing the house. I don't know. Now it sounds sort of silly, like, well, why didn't they check the paperwork? Why didn't they do this? And again, just to remind everybody listening, like there was no one to go to. Right. No one was interested or cared about what was happening to them. 
It was either that or continue to live in the black belt where, again, it might have been a housing stock for 80,000 people, but there was close to 200,000 people right. living there. Yeah, I mean, digging deeper into the things that result in long-term issues of uh, generational wealth or poverty management or anything like that, there's usually a lot more to it than the toss-away examples or excuses that people give, um, which are usually involving, you know, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps bullshit that is completely <laughs> ignorant to the systems in place. Um, Six Figure Dilla is where we can keep learning all this amazing stuff on TikTok. But you also, like I said, have that Netflix pilot. And I know you're not revealing the topic, but I thought it was so cool to read about the Chicagoans you've been put in touch with to try to figure out how to make, um, you know, a write up for it and how to how to take the next steps with the Hollywood people since you've never done it before. Matthew Cherry, who won an, uh, an Oscar for Hair Love, uh, Thomas Lennon from Oak Park, who's on Reno 911, Jason Weaver, Chance the Rapper, Lena Waithe. Like you're getting all the Chicago folks to step up because they want to see you succeed. What what's what's it been like to just be on those calls and learn about the Hollywood side of things? It's one you try not to like nerd out, right? Because I'm a fan of all these people and they're operating at such a high level. Uh, so you try to at least convince yourself that you belong on this call since they reached out. But once you get over that, it proves the point that I'm trying to make is that uh, Chicago cares, the Chicago people care mm-hmm. because what I'm doing is is positive and because we're we're a city that deeply cares about each other. Um, people are getting behind it. I couldn't believe I was on the phone with Matt Cherry. He, he's helping me figure out how to formalize a treatment. Like I said, this is this, this Oscar winner, right? You know, just directed uh, the reboot of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, which, you know, got critical acclaim. Yeah. Uh, and, then, and then Thomas Lennon is one of the co-writers of the thing that I'm writing. And so to just, you know, be writing with him. Is, That's awesome. Is, he invited me to his house to have a writing session. Um, you know, it doesn't, doesn't get any better than that. I'm, I, I, there, there are no words. Just to, just to get that help is really awesome. So cool. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing this specific story, which one is getting the Dilla treatment on Netflix for the first season at least. It was so awesome to talk to you. Before we let you go, you do have to do the one thing that everybody does and nobody expects. I didn't expect a kind of Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. It's the Spanish Inquisition. Number one, your current career is canceled. What do you do instead? Oh, I think I'm doing it right. I'm doing tours. If I got canceled from being an area operator, I would pursue being a full-time historian. All right, I'll give you that one. Number two, what's the most scared you've ever been? Oh, my goodness. Uh, when the kids are, are, you know, being born and that type of thing, one of them had the umbilical cord around the throat. Mm. Thing, that was scary. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, number three, you can be the best in the world at one thing for one day. What is it? Oh, goodness. Uh, cooking. Nice. Do you cook a lot? I mean, your wife had to have the seven kids, so I feel like you owe her something. You know, so, I'm, I'm shamefully, I grew up watching the Flintstones. I'm a little bit uh, archaic. Oh, got a caveman. Yeah, I'm a caveman. I, I ain't cooking nothing around here. I will cut my hands off for herbs, though, if I need to. <laughs> uh, number four, what current celebrity from music, politics, TV, or sports would you most like to be your best friend? Uh, Jay-Z. Oh, nice. Uh, number five, what's your biggest, most meaningless pet peeve? 
uh, when people pronounce the S in Illinois. Oh, my God. Yes. So my dad grew up in Glenview. And for whatever reason, a lot of people around that part when he was growing up would say Illinois. And it was like, absolutely not, Dad. Never. Um, no, never. Number six, what's the most embarrassed you've ever been? Oh, oh, oh goodness. Hope my wife doesn't hear this. I had his first date once. This is before I knew that I was lactose intolerant. I ordered some <laughs> eggs. They added some milk. And uh, you can kind of guess. Oh, no. It got embarrassing. Oh, no. Uh, number seven, what's the thing about yourself you'd most like to improve? Oh, man. It's so superficial. I'd like to, like, get the, to get the Denzel Washington treatment to my teeth, right? Yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to get on, like, one of those shows where they do it for you. Like, uh you know, makeover shows or queer eye where you just tell them that your teeth bother you. And then suddenly you've got like thousands and thousands of dollars worth of dodge paid for. That's the way to yes, do it. Sir. Um, yes. Uh, number eight, any musician or band alive or dead can play your next party. Who is it? Ooh, oh man. Alive or dead. I go with Michael Jackson. Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, number nine, what would you consider your biggest failure? Uh, oh man, you're crushing me. Um, that I waited so long in life to pursue my passion. Mm, that's good. It's good, but it's never too late, which you're proving. Uh, number 10, what three individual words would you most hope that people would use to describe you? Um, thoughtful, attentive, and dope. <laughs> I love it. Uh, finally, bonus question. Who should I have on this podcast? Who's someone I would find interesting? I think you should have Jason Weaver on this podcast, uh, not just because as a child, he did all the singing parts for Simba in the original Lion King, yeah. not because he played little Michael Jackson in the Jackson 5 Dr. Drama, but because he has one of the most historic Chicago families ever. Mm -hmm. uh, the jingle that we love, the I want to be, I want to be like Mike for yeah. Gatorade, his his cousin is the first female voice you sing, you hear singing nice. the jingle. His family sung that jingle. Uh, his uh, cousin, Coop uh, Carell, Grammy Award winner, uh, produced a whole bunch of stuff for Beyonce and all the way down to Little Nas X. His father was like this legendary gospel radio DJ here in Chicago. Nice. Um, his grandpa helped build a church that's still standing on 72nd in Wabash. But his mother and aunties are the ones who sing the backgrounds for giving me something you can feel by Aretha Franklin. Wow. I do need to have him on. That is awesome. Oh, that's oh. that's some serious Chicago history. Uh, Sherman, this was so fun. Thanks for doing this. I hope I run into you at another Chicago event. And I hope once again, you tell your wife to dress up fancy and then have to buy her a bunch of shit at the goods, uh, <laughs> the gift shop, because <laughs> everybody else is casual. <laughs> Yeah, that's better than the last thing I did to her, though. I got the concert date wrong. Oh, we no. got dressed the day before, drove down. The venue was empty. <laughs> At least it was the day before and not the day after, because you could still make it right? the next day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we repeated outfits. There you go. No one no one knew. No one had to know. Uh, thank you so much, Sherman. This was fun. Thank you. And we got a, we got a cameo at the end. Yes. <laughs> Junior. <laughs> that's what she said. Oh, yeah. One more thing. So this is a place for rants, raves, everything in between. Sometimes I'll tell you what to read, what to watch, what to listen to. Sometimes I'll share a great story, whatever's on my mind. 
On my mind right now is to remind you all to help Dilla spread the word about how dope Chicago is, help students learn more about their city, to care for it, to help their neighborhoods thrive. And to do that, you got to donate. ChicagoMahogany.com. You can click donate and help them out. Every single dollar helps. ChicagoMahogany.com. Tell your friends, tell your family. Let's all chip in and, and support them and help Dilla. Also, less importantly, if you have not yet watched the Chargers NFL schedule release video, get the to your Twitter account right now. It is too much. Over the last few years, teams have been doing really cool stuff. Some much cooler than others. Not going <clears> to <throat> bears say, although I was in the bears video last year and that was cool. We were doing uh, like these like paint shakers and you had to guess what team would come up based on what colors were added. That was cool. This year's video, it couldn't compete with the chargers is all I'm saying. The Mina Kimes inspired gravestone, the Falcons waffle house, 28 to three bit urban Meyer getting embarrassed in the bar with the co-ed, but it's a Jaguar for his face. It's seriously Bravo chargers, petty level 1000. So good. Don't forget, you can always tweet me at Sarah Spain. If you've got guest suggestions, questions, dilemmas, or more, thanks as always for lasting about an hour with me. That's what she said.